This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Woman on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Ayan Shirwa. Last week, I read an interesting Twitter thread about ethical journalism. Journalist and writer Jingwa Chen wrote a series of tweets in response to a crikey article on conversion therapy in China. This thread got me thinking about journalists' responsibility when reporting on stories that require nuance and sensitivity. Today, Jingwa joins me to build a case for ethical reporting. We also learn about their time in Shanghai at the publication Sixth Turn and what they make of Australia's reporting on China. All right, so let's start this conversation at your time at Sixth Turn. Uh, Can you give us a brief overview of what it was like working there and what did you learn from that publication in terms of how they cover LGBTIQ plus rights? I started working there in at the beginning of 2016 um, and I was there till I think August 2018 so about two and a half years and I started as a writer and reporter um, and then eventually became editor and head of news so I'd gone there kind of with experience in writing but only a little bit in journalism and then so that was really my first experience of you know working full-time as a reporter Um, but because a lot of my prior experience and interest had been in queer and trans rights movements um, feminist movements and anti-racist organizing in Australia um, you know they were some of the topics I was drawn to and and, um, interested in pursuing um, when I moved to China for that job So uh, luckily, like my editor-in-chief was quite supportive of that. So I was able to do quite a lot of reporting on trans and queer issues, particularly um, while I was there, which was really great. And there were a lot of sort of gender justice movements building at the time and that continued to build. But I think I was in China for, I think, quite an exciting and pivotal time in some of those movements. Um, So, you know, there were a lot of particularly like student LGBTIQ activists, young activists, you know, doing new things, um, using, you know, social media and law, uh, I guess, protesting in in different ways and and, um, sort of trying to create change. So this question, unfortunately, does not come from me. It's a question that I'm going to borrow from Ali Alizi who you did an interview with for Liminal Magazine. For folks who don't know about Liminal Magazine, it's a publication that provides writers with an opportunity and a platform to cover stories about the Asian Australian experience. Ali asked you the question, what are the differences between working at Sixth Tone and the Australian writing scene? What did you notice? First, I was working in a you know, a media outlet, like a news media outlet. So it was a different framework. Um, You know, the ethics of journalism are quite different compared to uh, sort of literary and community media spaces that I'd been in in Australia. 
Um, and then obviously in China, journalism is censored much more directly. And that also escalated in the years that I was there. Like I was aware moving there that, you know, there would be censorship, but it really increased um, between 2016 and 2018. So that was quite, you know, challenging, obviously, and and personally and emotionally challenging. Maybe that I didn't expect so much um, how much of your sort of intellectual and emotional life is taken up by thinking about the ethics of what you're doing. Because um, I feel like, you know, in all situations, like I think about ethics and politics a lot. Yeah, mm. I, I think in the environment I was in there, you know, it was like a really big part of my everyday and in some ways, I think, I guess part of what I felt when I left was feeling like sometimes you actually lose sight of the big picture a bit because you're fighting so many tiny things, you know. So when you're getting, for instance, like your wording and your language censored and you're sort of pushing back on these um, really like minute forms of control, that takes up so much energy and time that I felt like it impacted my ability to sort of see the big picture. But then the Australian writing scene, you know, I found really uh, challenging in, in other ways. And I think, you know, when I first moved to China, not having to deal with, you know, whiteness in the same way, um, not having to deal with like, I guess, like particular kinds of social and cultural hierarchy in exactly the same way, which feels like a really like weird thing to say, because obviously China has like, plenty of racism um and plenty of uh authoritarian control and, and inequality but in some ways I feel like when you go somewhere new and like the injustice is new it sort of can be quite invigorating in a way because you know you're not dealing with like the same the exact same problems and dynamics that you've grown up in that you're sort of um, exhausted by, you know, you become sort of spiritually exhausted by dealing with the same things all the time. So even if there's like a whole new set of problems, um, the fact that they're a little bit different was really refreshing to me. Hmm. I guess the thread that connects them is constantly feeling exhausted and constantly working within the bounds that are set for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When the Australian media reports on China, um, how do they do that? What have you found are the like recurring themes and what do you think influences these perspectives? One thing that's important to consider is that there's just a lot less actual reporting um, from China um, and about China uh, from Australian media because Australian media no longer has any reporters on the ground in China. And that is partly well, that is, you know, mainly because um, the Chinese government has, you know, highly restricted uh, international media access to China. So there's fewer people on J visas, so on journalist visas in China. Um, they've really cut, yeah, the ability of foreign language press and particularly English language press to access, to have that kind of access. Um, and so, you know, there used to be at, at different points, you know, quite a number of um, reporters for Australian press. So, for example, for ABC, for Nine Fairfax, um, you know, for whichever outlets who were there for AFR, I think, and then that no longer exists. And quite a few Australians working for American press as well were also sort of expelled um, or evicted um, over the last few years. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that all the reporting we see from China in Australian media now 
is sort of either it's either from you know other English language outlets that still have that access or it's translated from Chinese language from Chinese reporting or it's reporting that's done from Australia based on you know what contacts people still have but I think not having people on the ground you know really makes a makes a big difference um because it I think it sort of narrows the pipeline of stories that we get of coverage that we get and it also puts like more of a filter on it um and then I think you know simultaneous to that I would say that Australian media's reporting on China is really focused quite narrowly um for the most part on Australia-China relations and particularly like the implications um, of that relationship for trade and for defence and that everything else is largely reported through that lens. So even when you see, say, a story about um, reproductive rights in China um, and the and family planning policies from the government, you know, often it's presented through this lens of is China good or bad and what should Australia do about it? And, you know, we see a lot recently, um, for instance, in the lens of the Red Alert series from Nine Fairfax, um, you know, a lot of the reporting is geared to um, basically like should we or should we not go to war with China or how likely is that or like is Australia prepared for war? You know, it's that sort of lens rather than like how are young women experiencing family planning policy? How are young men experiencing family planning policy? What does this mean for queer families? What does this mean for single mums? What does this mean for all of the direct ways that impacts people? Can I get you to tell me about this idea that you've been sitting on and mulling about called whataboutism and how does it fit into the conversation that we're having? Yeah, sure. Um, I think whataboutism is a really interesting term. So what whataboutism means is, um, for instance, say uh, someone's like, look at these human rights abuses in uh, China, in Xinjiang, in the uh mass detention of Muslim minorities in China and then someone says as a response or defense to that like oh what about uh Australia's you know human rights abuses of um refugees you know so whataboutism is um usually kind of like an allegation of uh someone who's typically defending some it's like a nationalist defense of a particular kind of a deflection, I guess, um, Mm. of any accusation by, you know, pointing to another um, abuse or injustice. I don't know. I think there's this sort of sense that you're being hypocritical if you don't pay exactly equal attention to every single thing going on in the world. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Woman on the Line. So far, I've been speaking with journalist and writer Jinghua Chen about what it was like working at Six Tone, an English media outlet in Shanghai. They also examined how Australia writes about China and what influences their reporting. In this next part of the interview, Jinghua gives us a summary of the Crikey article on conversion therapy in China, as well as things the series could have done better to capture the fullness of the debate. 
So what brought you to my attention is a thread that you did about an article. So it was a response to a three-part series um, and the article was called China's Queer Purge. It was a, it was an article that was in the Crikey. For folks who haven't had a chance to read that, can you firstly just summarize what it is before we go into um, some of the issues that you noticed? Sure. So Crikey published a three-part series called China's Queer Purge. The first part is focused on uh, schools and camps that do conversion therapy um, and the sort of violence and abuse of that. Um, the second part looked at uh, censorship of LGBTIQ groups and issues. Um, and the third part was on access to hormone treatment for trans people in China. So in one of your tweets, you stated that it's important to include local groups who are already doing the work to advocate for trans folks. What opportunities do you think Crikey missed by not using homegrown voices? They use testimonies from people who've experienced, um, you know, these harms, but I feel like they didn't talk about the organising that's going alongside, you know, the harm. So I feel like it presented a picture of, this is particularly in the, the article on um, conversion therapy, it uh, first I think presented that as like a monolithic um, government-operated system, whereas my understanding of it and I think most people's understanding based on sort of a decade of reporting and research um, is that it's much more piecemeal um, that some of these operators do have connections to government, many don't, and some operate, you know, like illegally and have been shut down, you know, by government. And there've been like multiple lawsuits um, against conversion therapy operators as well, um, where, you know, queer people have won cases against these operators and that those operations have been like deemed illegal. So I think like missing that context and missing the work that that queer and trans people have been doing to uh, stop conversion therapy in China. I I don't know, to me, it feels like both uh, really misleading because I think it, you know, presents a different picture of the situation from what actually exists, um, but also feels really disrespectful, I guess, to um, this quite long history of activism that has been really costly for the people involved. You know, like people have um, taken great risks and, you know, um, suffered like a lot of impact from being, you know, public voices um, on this topic. I think that presenting, you know, queer and trans people in China as sort of victims who were completely isolated from each other rather than people who have also like built a really savvy movement to counter um, conversion therapy in lots of really different ways. To me, that's a, that's a really important part of the story. Obviously, you're someone who cares about ethics. As we discussed earlier, that's something that you've thought about during your time at Sixth Tone, but it's something that I'm guessing you also think about here. What ethical issues did you notice with this series? What things kind of made you go, mm, I, I'm sure there could have been like a different way of doing it? Uh, I think one thing that's really important when reporting on LGBTIQ stories in China is to understand the broader political context um, in China for any kind of 
activism or advocacy uh, or critique and to understand, uh, you know, what might impact um, on the safety of individual activists as well as um, how the movement is understood. So I think one really important thing to consider um, for Australian media and LGBTIQ activists advocates here wanting to work in solidarity with communities in China is to think about the fact that um, a really common criticism of queer rights advocacy in China and, you know, in a, in a lot of um Asia and the global south is that these are um, western notions that this is a western um, rights framework that has been imported and that goes against traditional values Um, I think that uh, advocates in China counter those narratives um, but it's important for um, those of us you know in diaspora um, uh, or others you know wanting to work in solidarity to be aware of that and to be aware that um, you know not all support um, or visibility is always a good thing and particularly that you know some kinds of visibility um, and some kinds of international connection can actually really increase the risks for activists on the ground there so that's just something to be mindful of another part of that I think is celebrating and uh, capturing the nuance of what is uh, specific perhaps about uh, Chinese activism and advocacy um, and what is particular um, and beautiful about the movement there. For folks who aren't on top of this and kind of really can't see what the issues are, basically what anti-trans narratives should we keep an eye out for? I think it's really common for anti-trans campaigns now to focus on um, a spectre of uh, harm to cis women and to try and divide cis and trans uh, feminism um, and paint trans people, trans women in particular and trans feminine people as um, perpetrators of violence. Um, I think it's relatively easy to counter those narratives, especially if you are actually deeply enmeshed in um, movements for gender justice um, and against Uh, violence, particularly rape and sexual violence. The threat of sexual violence is very real, very well documented. Um, You know, there are countless testimonies. There is such a body of research. I think that, uh, you know, there is so much knowledge um, and insight from uh, survivors of sexual violence um, and it's very clear when uh, anti-trans campaigns are um, exploiting uh, that violence for their own ends. I want to thank Jiangwe Chen for sharing their reflections with us. They do really important work to improve how we think, talk and write about marginalised communities. You can read more about them and their work by visiting jingwechen.com that is spelled J-I-N-G-H-U-A qian.com that's j-i-n-g-h-u-a-q-i-a-n.com Woman on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program it's produced and presented by a range of broadcasters from 3CI in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the community radio network 
We greatly appreciate the financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show. So send us an email at womanontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03-9419-8377. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash Women on the Line. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Taking us out now is singer, songwriter and trans activist Shia Diamond with her track, American Dream. I'm Ian Shirwa and you've been listening to Woman on the Line. But this beggar's got a right to choose. I'm not a stranger, I'm just like you. I need love, I don't need money. After all these years, baby, I'm still running. Who's gonna say my want is not a need? That gets so dirty after all these years, baby. It's still hurting. Who's gonna say my won't is not a need? Just want my piece of the American pie. Got your slice, where is mine? Put my fingers on this thing called life. Just a piece of the American pie. The chains of overleaves. I'm the flame that you can't unsee. I don't like antiques, I want something new. I got my dignity, gonna live my truth. Like the southern smile, I just can't lose. Let my life sweep across the room. You may laugh, but it's not funny. That's the thing that keeps me coming Who's gonna say my woe is not a need? All those looks that get so dirty Let's me know that they're still learning Who's gonna say my woe is not a need? Just want my piece of the American pie You got your slice where is mine? Pick my fingers on this thing called life. Just a piece of the American pie. Break the chains of overleaf. I'm the flame that you can't unsee.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.